0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, what it means to walk as light in a dark world. Walking as light in a dark world. Um, In a walking, I've found in my own personal experience, that walking in darkness is hard. Um, Sometimes I'll wake up before Jill in the morning and uh, I was running out behind the gym right out here and uh, I don't know if I was being chased by a deacon or you kind know, of what was going on, but I was frolicking. And, and I was running, uh, just as, I, as Ali Ostrander you know, taught me. And actually, this is like more like Father Abraham. But I was running, and all of a sudden my, my thumb comes flying up, and I poke myself in the eye. Now, one doctor's visit later... He says that I've actually ripped out a piece of my own cornea. (laughs) And I had to spend the next three, four days with a patch over my eye and had to actually keep both eyes shut. Um, Now, it was even harder. When you're walking in the darkness, if you can find the light, right, you can can see the light. But if you are walking as darkness, in those three days, I couldn't see, right, right? And as I'm walking around without the ability to see, I have no, uh, no hope, no ability to walk in the light. We're going to be looking at this in Ephesians this morning. If you've been following us, we're just walking through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. And we've been seeing in the first three chapters, Paul says, here's who we are in Christ. And now we're in the back half, and he says, therefore, if this is who we are now in Christ, then this is how we should be living in Christ you know, growing up for the longest time, I knew, I knew the truth that Jesus had died on the cross to save me. I knew that he saved me from the penalty of my sins, that, that every sin I would ever commit has been forgiven, paid for by Christ, that I will not go to hell because of that, I will be standing before God completely forgiven. I knew that, embraced that, but what I've come to, to see in Scripture that it also teaches... As followers of Jesus, now we've also been saved or rescued from the power of sin. And that's a reality we can walk in right now In the and to motivate us to live as light in a dark world. There's, there's fill-in-the-blanks in, the blanks in your, uh, your bulletins. If you didn't grab one, they're, they're back out in the foyer where the bathrooms are also located your information. Two things I see in the text today. First of all, an argument why we should not walk in the darkness. Why not to walk in darkness? And I see two reasons for that. A, because dark walkers don't inherit Jesus' kingdom. Dark walkers don't inherit Jesus' kingdom. I had a friend uh, growing up uh, who had a boyfriend. And he took his, his truck down to the Kenai Beach one time. Uh, it was a super muddy day. Uh, and, I, and, and his truck got stuck in the mud. Yeah, you you see where this is going. The tide starts coming back in. And they start frantically working to get this truck dislodged from the mud. And as the tide kept coming in, they were unable. And before you know it, the tide has washed his pickup truck out into the middle of the inlet, where it lays sunken, like the Titanic, somewhere out there to this very day. Now, I was in high school at the time. I'm looking at my Dodge Stratus. And I'm going, you know what, I'm not going anywhere near that beach, right? I know, I've seen the result of that. And I'm not going anywhere near that path. And I think this is what Paul is trying to warn us about in, in the beginning of this passage. He says, but sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks For I know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He says, the road that these people are walking down gets them stuck in the mud and washed away from the kingdom of Christ. And so then he says, for us, he says... You sh- it shouldn't even, th- these kind of things shouldn't even be heard among you. Th- these are not suitable things for you. These are not proper things for you. In fact, I love the way the NIV says it. There shouldn't even be a hint of these things among you. Paul says don't see how far you can take your vehicle down the beach before it gets stuck in the mud. He says don't even go down onto the beach in the first place. And Paul says here, not only will people like that not inherit the kingdom of God, but God's wrath will come upon them. This is verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. I have a zero-tolerance policy for people hitting my wife. It's just a weird little quirk of mine, right? Right? <laughs> He says here, let no one deceive you with empty arguments. And make no mistake, guys. Like, the world around us is deceiving us with empty arguments. Our culture normalizes and even celebrates the things that he just called out. We celebrate sex outside the lines that God has provided for us. We celebrate greed and just to continue to take more and more for ourselves. And the culture says, man, you're just playing on the beach There's no harm done. You're just expressing yourself. You're just enjoying your time. That's not problematic at all. But God, he sees it for what it really is. He sees the impending tide coming. He sees we're stuck in the mud. And he does the math, right? Our God has a zero-tolerance policy for sin. He sees how sexual indulgence outside the marriage of a man and a woman, how it destroys us. He sees the way greed, he called greed idolatry. Did you see that? Like, we might say, yeah, I don't have tolerance for some of the sexual morality, but do we have that same approach to greed? Have we ever come to the Lord broken over our greediness? He says that's, that's worship of something outside of God, left unchecked. And he knows these things aren't harmless. He knows they destroy us. And His wrath, he, He's moved to love by His wrath. And this isn't some out-of-control anger. This is an appropriate emotional response to the hatred of sin and the passion for justice and peace and love for us as his people. By the way, God's zero uh, tolerance policy for sin, where did that lead ultimately? It led to the cross. We want to know how serious our God takes sin. Look no further than Calvary. Because on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God, was satisfied. Amen. So therefore, as imitators of God, as we saw last week, Jesus, if Jesus' tolerance, if God's tolerance for sin is zero, then Daryl Dash says, pastor says, our tolerance level for sin should also be zero. Why? Because he says people who walk in that don't have an inheritance. He sees that, man, if, if we walk in these things long enough, like if this seems to be who we are, this may indicate this may indicate who who we really are and what kingdom we still really belong to. I think there are some, and maybe even some in this room, who profess to be followers of Jesus. But over time, Jesus taught, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You'll know the evidence of someone's life. Over the span of time, are they walking as one who's in the kingdom of light or walking as one who's in the kingdom of darkness? And part of our discipleship training with Jesus is learning to see our sin the way God sees it. And so let me ask you this morning, Like, do you see your sin like God does? And that's actually what the word confession means, is to agree with God. Do I see my sin the way my God sees my sin? Do I feel about my sin the way that God feels about my sin? And maybe where are some areas in our hearts where we don't have that zero tolerance like he does? Second reason I see in the text of why we shouldn't walk as darkness is, is because that's not who we are anymore. Paul says we're no longer. We are now children of light for those in Christ. Imagine if downtown Soldotna, that booming metropolis, had a power outage in the middle of a January evening. It's pitch black. There is literally no light downtown Soldotna. Imagine the instant chaos that that would produce. Cars are trying to navigate roads or crashing into each other at the roundabouts that we don't even know how to drive around in the light. Am I right? <laughs> We're looting sportsmen's right? You're, you see people just trapped in the dark, cold January winter. It's bedlam. Now imagine all of a sudden in the pitch of dark, there's this, this great brightness that comes, comes strolling down Binkley. And someone found a great floodlight. Now, what's everybody else in that area going to do? They're going to flood to that floodlight, right? Like, here's safety. Now I can see where I am. Now I can see how to get to the safety of my home. We need that light. Now, as that light shines, it's also going to expose what's happened in the dark. We're going to see some wrecks, some car wrecks on you. Now, notice the language here that he uses. And this, I think this is important. He doesn't say, for once you were in darkness. What does the text say? For you were once darkness. That's who you were. Not just that you were in a dark room, but the corneas were scratched out, and I was blind. I was darkness. I couldn't see. But then the good news here is not just now that I'm in the light, but now I am light. I'm a child of the light. And the light shines in and through me. And I think this is important because this is an identity issue. If you were here with us last week, we talked about this earlier on in chapter 5, in the end of chapter 4, he said we, we were, for those in Christ, we were dead in our sins. We had our grave clothes on. We could do nothing but be dead. But he says, you have put those things off and you have now put on the jersey. We said that we are now, we're donning the Michael Jordan jersey and we can now dunk in the name of Jesus Christ. We can live the new life. And the truest thing about us is who God says we are in Christ. Not what I think about myself, not how I feel about myself. That's going to be an emotional roller coaster. But to walk by faith in who my God says I am in Jesus. Verse 14, he says, therefore it is said, and we're not actually sure who he's quoting here. There's not any direct Old Testament reference, but it rings true with the rest of Scripture and what Paul says here. He says, get up sleeper and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He says, we were asleep, but now we're awake. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were darkness, but now we are light. And I love, do you notice what it says here? Christ, it says, will shine on you. This isn't us generating our own light. This is not us going out and trying to become the light. He says, we just simply live out who we already are in Christ. That we're glow-in-the-dark Jesus followers. How cool is that? So we go out and we walk shining the light of Christ that's in us and shines now through us. And that's why Paul says, therefore, he says, don't partner with those in the dark. In fact, not only don't participate in those things, he says we're actually called to expose the darkness. Expose the darkness. Now, we have to be careful here. On the outside looking board. Very good. If you're confused by that, i got some records to show you. records (laughs) um so how do we how do we shine how do we walk as children of light well i think one of the things we can do is we can share our own story this is not to shame the rest of the world this is to say to the rest of the world we're no better than you are that i actually was stuck in the mud myself that i was i was darkness and, and i was i was lost but now i'm found I was blind, but now I see. I was stuck in the mud with no hope for my future, and my Savior rescued me from the impending tide. We share our story, and then we show them the better way. You see, God actually—he didn't design us to get stuck in the mud and swept away to doom. He designed us to 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 take a joyride. That we're going to go out there with the Muppets and go road tripping, right? That we're called. He says we've been designed for a better path. We've been designed to drive in the light and and to take us on a journey to be who God has created us to be. Not just to tell the world what we're against, but to sing the better song. And I think what this text also implies is that we're not just called to avoid the dark. He says, don't participate in the dark. And we say, okay. And some, some people have lived that out as Christians by just hunkering down until Jesus comes back. We're just going to hide out and it's kind of be separate and protected from the world. But that's not what he says. What does he say to do? Expose the darkness. How do you expose the dark? Well, the, my light's got to be in the dark. And this is the call for us as believers to go into the world with our light. Not to become like the dark world, but to shine our light in the dark world. Where is, where is light needed? In Alaska in January, right? That's why we have our little happy lights. We need light where it's dark. And brothers and sisters, that's where we're called to go. Another 90s song. Carry your candle, run to the darkness. That's where we're called to be. Shining and showing that there's a better way. So how do we do this? How do we walk out this better way? Well, this is exactly where Paul takes us. And in before the, in the you know it, it's to the dust that I came from that I return, right? And gravity does its thing. Now, Paul calls us here, to, just like I have to do on the ski trail, is to pay careful attention to live wisely. Pay careful attention. He says in verse 15, Pay careful attention then... To how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. He says, we, brothers and sisters, need to pay attention to how we walk. We're going to make the most of the time that God has given us here on this earth. Now, why? why? Why is that important? He says, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Because we live in a dark world. Guys, this is not a game. And the way that we walk has real world Consequence, and also because gravity doesn't move us to Christ likeness. Gravity leads us to falling, right? Like, does anybody here just kind of keep just accidentally becoming like Jesus? Has that been your experience? Like, oh, there I go being patient again. I don't even know where that comes from, right? It's so weird. You're so kind and so loving. Like, I'm always just giving all my money away. I forget to feed myself. Like does that No, that's not where gravity takes me, and I doubt it's where it takes you either. It takes effort to follow Jesus. It takes intentionality to become like Jesus. It costs attention. What does he say here? Pay attention. And I know this is true of my my cross-country ski skills. I don't get better at skiing in my dreams. It takes discipline. It takes effort. I have to practice. And if the same is true and even more important, as followers of Jesus... He calls us his disciples. That word is discipline. Same root word. We must be disciplined in the way that we walk. You know, I'll have people come to me and say, you know, Justin, I'm, I'm in a dry season. I'm, I'm struggling with a certain sin you know, or whatever. And so we'll just kind of walk down. How are you living? Like, how, how are you paying attention to the path that you're on? Are you spending time with the Lord, before the Lord? What does the psalmist say? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. If we are not steeping in the truth and light of God's word, we're going to find ourselves going in the wrong direction. Am I spending time before him, like pouring out my heart to him, listening to him? I I cannot share the light with the world if, if I'm not coming to the source of the light myself. Part of this also involves the confession of our sin, the discipline of bringing my true self into the light to my Lord and to other people in my life, which, which brings us to the next discipline. Before you know it, I've gone down the wrong trail or I've fallen. Part of paying attention is discerning what, what we're looking at, what we're taking in, what's, what's coming into our minds through social media that we just sort of mindlessly scroll through. Sometimes I feel like we're just innocently scrolling through. What, are we discerning what's coming into our mind through the movies and shows that we're watching and binging, the news that we're imbibing? Because here's the reality. If we take stuff in the same way our culture does, we shouldn't be baffled as to why we think and look and act and feel just like the dark world around us. Is there a discernible difference between my light and the darkness that I'm in? Are we making the most of the time we have? We all have the same amount of time here on earth before Jesus comes back or we die. Are we making the most of it? Are we paying attention and walking intentionally? The next thing I see him show how we walk in the light is to understand God's will. Verse 17, so don't be foolish... But understand what the Lord's will is. Now, a lot of times when we hear this idea of understanding God's will, it can kind of get our blood pressure going a little bit, right? We often, like, what is God's will for my life? That's a great question, Justin. I've been trying to figure that out. But often we think of this in individual terms. Like, does God want me to marry this person or not? Does he want me to live in in this place or that place? Does he want me to work here or switch jobs and go there? And we think of this, that's kind of the Western way. It's thinking hyper-individualistically, but really I think what, what he's calling here, what is the Lord's will, uh, he's talking about a much broader, grander scope. And in Ephesians, we've actually already seen Paul speak to what God's will is for our lives. He said he's twice used the phrase God's will back in chapter 1, verse 5. He said, God predestined us, he chose, this was his choice, to for us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure good pleasure of his will. You know what God's will is? He wants you to be his child. He wants to adopt you. He wants you to call him Abba Father and Daddy. And then he he broadens it out even farther in verse 9. He says, "He made known to us the mystery of his will." We don't have to guess anymore. We can understand God's will. He reveals it to us right here in the Bible. It is according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the time, and here it is, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and on earth in Jesus. So what is God's will for us? To reconcile the lost, to become his children, and to be the new... I realize I'm actually not in the set for Dumb and Dumber. I'm actually in the set for Schindler's List. Yeah, I got real. (laughs) I'm going to look like an idiot, right? My lines, what I'm doing, all of a sudden, like what I'm, what I'm doing, how I'm living up on stage is totally inappropriate. I am dumb and dumber, right? Like I'm not living according to the right script. And I think a lot of times we are living according to the wrong movie script. And the world, we, we would, our flesh Satan, the world wants to tell us that I'm the star of my own movie. That this thing is all about me and my comfort and my success and my way. But but the reality is, as we go to that lamp, as we go to the word of God, we see the true movie that we're living in, the true script that we're called to be a part of. And I'm not the main character, praise God. (laughs) Jesus is the main character in this movie. That my job is to know and trust Jesus. And my job, my role in this movie is to go out into this lost world to preach the good news for the Holocaust that we're living in and to preach a message of rescue, proclaiming the kingdom of light that is coming. We're living... Do, do we even understand what movie it is that we're really living in? And, but then the second thing, and it's just as important, is to then actually play our part in the movie. It's not just to know the right movie, but it's actually to, to play the part that God has given us in this movie. That's what I think it means to understand God's will. I remember being a kid, and my parents would come into my very messy room, and they would say, Justin, do you understand our will for you in regards to the messy room? Now, for me to understand their will wasn't to say, yes, I understand the sentence structure. Like, I I can discern the meaning of what you're saying to me. No. What does it mean to understand my parents' will? It's to clean my room, right? It's to do what they're calling me to do. We are called, in the reality that we're living in, this real movie script, to reorder our entire life, our entire life around the reign and person of Jesus Christ. That's reality. But to understand God's will for us is not just to know what I'm supposed to do. Listen to me. It's to actually live that way. It's, it's to, that, that's the difference. James says that it's all the difference the Script or the Lord's. We're walking in obedience or disobedience. We're walking by faith or by sight. There honestly is no middle ground. Last part. He says, how do I walk as light? Well, we let the Spirit control you. Let the Spirit control you. Eighteen. And don't get drunk with wine. Welcome to Family Sunday. Um, what happens when you are drunk with wine? You're, when you, if I'm filled with wine, if I've filled myself up with too much wine, it's going to control me. And we know what happens. as an outcome, right? It says, which leads to reckless living. This is this is walking in the darkness. If I'm driving around the dark without my headlights on, I'm going to lead, it leads to wrecks, right? Reckless living. He says similarly, if you let wine take control of you, it's going to lead you down a path of destruction. Now, how much wine is too much? How much would what, what, what define drunkenness? I think Paul actually asks a better question here. He says, but and here's the contrast, but be filled by the Spirit. Be filled. So what do we just say about wine? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen? We're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. The point here is don't be controlled by wine so that we can pay sober attention, so that we can allow the spirit. Spirit to fill us and to control us. As Brian Chapel said, we don't want a DUI, we want an LUI, living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now it's important to note here: this word "filled." Um, we believe that Scripture teaches a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you are saved, the Spirit—we read it earlier in Ephesians—His Spirit puts his seal on us until the day of redemption. So this is not a fear of, oh, he came in me, now he's out of me, now he's in me, now what does this mean? And and also, I want to push back against what I believe is the false life is going to look like being led by the Spirit. Three things. First of all, we're going to sing heart-filled to the Lord. Sing heart-filled to the Lord. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. I know for me, one of the practices that's been really cool in my life is each morning I try to listen to at least one song that will stir my heart's affections for Jesus. It will point me to Jesus. And I can tell you, in the time I spend with the Lord, almost every, consistently, and, and we're all different in this, but like what stirs up emotion in me most, what's most likely to bring a tear to my eye, is a truth about Jesus sung in a song. It just affects us differently. And notice here, I love the, the beauty of this. He says, we do this to one another. We speak to one another in, in these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, what does that mean? How do we sing to one I don't think that means be weird, like when you're walking in Sunday morning, and be like, welcome to church, I'm glad you're here. Like, but as we sing together, we help one another stir affections for Jesus. As the Spirit works in us, and we sing, I don't know about... Sometimes when we're singing, and I catch someone out of the corner of my eyes, we're here together, and I see someone who's walking in in a hard way, someone who's facing a tragedy, someone who's going through something difficult, and then we're singing about God's faithfulness and his love for us in the eye of the storm, it hits me differently. I'm singing with that brother or sister. As we sing together, we stir one another's affections for Jesus. This is the work of the Spirit. The discipline we walk in. Second thing here is that we sacrifice thanks to God in all things. We sacrifice or offer to him, give him thanks in all things. Note verse 20. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now, if we're honest, there are some things that are easy to give God thanks for. There are other things. Well, I don't know how I would bring myself to give thanks to God for. He says always for everything. How do we do that? This is what the role of the Holy, is the Holy Spirit controls us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is going to be to point us to Jesus. It's going to be to take the things that Jesus taught and guide us into them. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, we look at a broken world and we experience deep suffering and brokenness. And we're not rejoicing because we're going through those things. We, in the fear of Christ, to honor Christ. And what I love in this is that we are to honor them the same way we would honor Christ. And if they're a brother or sister in Christ, Christ is in them. So in a very real way, when I honor my brother or sister, when I serve them, I'm honoring Jesus. I'm honoring Christ himself. And when we honor one another, we are actually living out. We're shining the light of the Christ who lives in us. And what did he do? He submitted himself to to us. He placed himself under us to serve us, how? By obedience all the way to death on a cross for us and out the empty tomb to give us new life. We're called to love each other like that. And in this real way, we become Christ to one another. If we're going to shine our light in this dark world, we are going to become a weird people who sing together, no matter the circumstance, who thank God together, no matter the circumstance, who serve each other, even when we don't really like each other. And the world is going to go, what is that? We're going to make them wonder what we got <laughs> and wish that they were not. On the, I, okay, you got it. So here's what I want to do. We're going to land the plane. Everybody, I want you to hold out your, your pointer finger. First service got really tired really quick weaklings. All right, let's see if we can do this, all right? So hold it up. I'll tell you when to put it down. That's visual, right? We're going to let our little light shine, right? You know the song. Now, if we go out into this world. Are we going to hide it under a bushel? No, no right? All right, we're, we don't. We're, keep it up, keep it up. I didn't say to put it down. We're not going to hide, right? We're not going to take our light and hide from the rest of the world. That's not to be obedient to Jesus. He said, I want you to take this little light and shine it in the darkness. So are we rubbing shoulders with this world? Are we loving and serving people who don't know Jesus? That's what we're called to do, to let this little light shine. But we also, as we go into the world, we won't let Satan it out, right? As we take our light into the dark world, we must be distinct from them. As we get to know, as we behold that light that shines on us and shines in us, will we be stirred from within the inner person? We're not offering the world our own light. We're offering the world the light of Christ. So let's get to know Jesus. And as we do, we will learn how to shine these little lights in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in by his grace for his glory. Would you pray with me? Father God. I want to thank you for rescuing me from the mud. I once was darkness, but now I have the light of Christ in me and have been rescued from the Cook Inlet tide coming in. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his finished work on the cross. Father, I want to pray for any, anybody in this room today that is still in the mud, still in the darkness, and has not yet experienced the rescue of Jesus, that today would be that day. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, that we would trust the Holy Spirit's work in us to learn how to sing to one another, serve one another, sacrifice thanks in all circumstances. Lord, we cannot do that on our own. Would you, would your spirit in us refocus our hearts on Christ today and that we would be so stirred by the Jesus who lives in us, the Jesus who died for us and has risen to give us new life, that we can't help but let our little lights shine. We have a job to do. So, Father, would you send us and give us the grace to shine these lights to a dark world that so desperately needs to see them. May we lay ourselves down at the altar as we are to be transformed by you and used for your glory to show the world your will to adopt more children as you usher in your kingdom of light. And it's in